Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, Jim. Hi, Dave. How are we doing today? I'm good. What is today? I think we're Wednesday? gonna. I think we're gonna talk about something big. We are gonna and talk small. about something big and something small, but, yeah. but big. Okay. Anyway, so uh, that's Jim. And uh, if you are listening regularly, you can join the Practical Guitarist Facebook group on Facebook. Obviously, uh, if you are also interested, you can like the Facebook page. They are both linked, so you'll be able to get back and forth between the two very easily. Uh, you can also review us on your favorite podcast host, albeit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever. Um, if you'd like to reach out to Jim and I directly, you can reach us directly via our email address. Practical Guitarist Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we hope to have a new podcast email address up and running shortly. Yes, that's a lot easier to uh, remember. Prison. For both of us. <laughs> For all of us. I, I, I said prison I think, a second ago. And that's because that's Jim made me feel like I was in prison this week because I said something. <laughs> all right, why don't you kick that off? All right, all right. So... I was trolling the internet because I'm looking for a new cab. And we're good small- at trolling. Oh, I'm I'm the best. No, I'm not the best. I know some guys that are way better than I am at it. Um, one of which has to use his wife's account on Facebook now because he's no longer allowed to use his own. He's been permanently banned from Facebook. The cops actually showed up at his house because of something he said on Facebook. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, troll level expert. But <laughs> By the way, all right, so... What what ended up happening was I was looking for um I need a more compact Mesa cab right and the the local guitar shop has the one that I want it matches my amp it has the uh, the uh, wicker grill and all that um and he offered it to me and I he said you know I need to get this thing out of here so I was trying to do him a solid because he's always helped me out so I'm like all right fine um, wait 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 it had wicker yeah I have my head's a wicker head too the bees the bees I know I know the bees I had to do the Nick Cage thing. Okay. Yeah. Going. Well, some people say mesas sound like a nest of angry bees, so please don't. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, so, as part of this experiment, I decided to look and see what the total differences, based on certain people's recommendations, were between the big cab and the little cab in the one by twelve. And this led me down a rabbit hole where I happened across somebody's forum post. I think it was like 2013. It ended up being posted in our group, but um, the guy basically said. If you're not using a 4 by 12 cab, get the fuck out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what the hell? <laughs> Seriously, in this day and age, there's a dude that's like, 4 by 12 or go home. Like, what? I just, I didn't understand it. I was like, seriously, I get it for certain genres of music. There are certain applications where you need a 412. But to assume that everybody's playing that kind of music? Like, and then I started thinking, well, you know, there was a time when everybody thought that's what you needed. And it like there when the, the amp, the amp uh, weapons race, but like now I think the guitar community as a whole is generally a lot smarter about realizing how much volume they actually need. Um, there are, I, I Jim, I, I know we had the conversation on the sidebar where you're like, yeah, I, I mean, some bands just want to be that loud, but yeah. are those bands going to get gigs? I mean, okay, so yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that's that's the important. 
we um so uh band we were we had a um photo shoot photo op thing whatever you want to call it after yeah i guess you call it a shoot it's not an op it wasn't an opportunity because we set it up but so we sat around and we got our pictures taken and and uh, we got some cool photos i think to share but um one of the things that we talked about was the one of the guys said we should write some of our own stuff. And we said, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll never get a gig. So now, obviously, we're joking a little bit. We're not joking in a lot of ways. <clears throat> so here's the thing. What is your objective? If your objective is to be real loud, you're likely not to get gigs because you're likely not to start in places that want you to be loud. Right. You're heavy-hitting drummer. Your four by twelve or eight by twelve, your two your your full stack. Your full stack. Yeah. Um, and your two hundred watt Marshall J um DSL or even hundred watt DSL. You, nobody wants you there. Okay? And and your no. your eight by ten guy with the sun um eight hundred watt head. It, it, nobody wants you there. Seriously. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I kind of want to back up a little bit. You're talking about wattage too, and that's a whole different thing. Like, there's a reason why you buy a 50 watt amp if you only really need 20 watts, and that's because you need clean headroom. Um, so I get, I get that. What I don't understand. So when you take, and I don't know the acoustic science behind this, and I'm sure somebody's going to shoot me down. But my impression from having a 412 cabinet versus having a 1 by 12 cabinet loaded with similar speakers was that the 4 by 12 Granted, these weren't the same model. Uh, the 4x12 was noticeably louder because it put out more low end because it was moving more air than the 1x12. Um, now, that's where, I, that's where I'm like, I don't understand the need for 412 if you're playing in a place that has sound reinforcement. I mean, I think even as the, the stage gets bigger, it's less necessary even. Um, you're on mute. There's a there is a um there there is a school of thought which has some logic behind it that you push less power across more speakers to get a better representation of sound. Um, sure. And keep your volume down. Sure. The problem is you're still pushing a lot of air. Here's the here's the thing. Most people that are going to push a four by twelve are not thinking in that. I don't care what they say. Not thinking that way. They're thinking I'm going to make this loud. And, yeah. the, and there's well, two there's two problems with it. We're going to talk about the physical problem. The physical problem is footprint takes up a lot. Yeah, you got to not only that, but weight. Yes. I mean, shit. How many people are you going to expect to help you carry your damn gear? Well, even if you do bring it in on a dolly, yeah. you got to get it through a door. In some of these clubs, you got to get it up a set of stairs. Yeah. In some places, I've been where I had to ride an elevator. I've yeah. I've I'll, had it, where parking. There's no parking. No street. You can't sit yeah. on the street and park. You have to park yeah. a block and a half away, and you have to walk there. Right, right. And you would be walking down the street with a fucking 412? I mean, come on, guys. I've been in neighborhoods where you get robbed if you walk down the street with a 412. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the, um, now, yeah, they're not going to run very fast or very far. And down no, they're here, just shoot you and take it. <laughs> down here, we've got concealed carry, so... Yeah, you probably good won't luck. get as far as you think. I bet as the well, song goes, you won't well, Jeff, outrun we, my. We bullet. don't have we don't have concealed carry, but we have plenty of concealed verbs. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's that too. So, um, so my point is, though, getting out of the you know, I don't want to get into politics of that. That we're we're joking, people. That's another thing please. entirely. 
We're joking. Yeah. But the thing is that um, you've got to think about weight. You've got to think about getting it in. You've got to think about getting it out. You've got to think about how much space you take up. You've got to think about the fact that people in front of the cabinet are going to get more blast side of the cabinet. Um, there's, there's so I would many. Four twelves tend to be even more directional than a one twelve is usually. And, and in all reality, most places you're going to play, um, most most people, most places you're going to play, and we're even talking about some of the stars that make the same complaints that I'm about to say. You think that it's just oh. Jim, cover band Jim, it, it, that's only your problem. No, you've got a lot of flat, hard surfaces. So yep. now your your sound is ping-ponging around, and you're, it, it's just a mess. Just a mess. Because nobody wants, nowadays it's hardwood floor, not carpet. Yep. Nowadays nobody's got stuff hanging on the walls except glass. Big yep. mirror, glass, front of the, the bar is... is um, Bars are the worst acoustic environment you could possibly perform in. I, I mean, they're they're small, cramped, reflective spaces. Look, I, I, I listened to the guys at Guitar Wank, and they were talking about the Baked Potato, which is one of the most famous clubs, you know, that you're going to yeah. think of. Lucky Strike, Baked Potato, you're out west, you, you've probably heard of those. Yep. And they were saying the acoustics of Baked Potato is just horrendous. Oh, I believe it. It doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, and that's a challenge that modern guitar players have to deal with. And right. that's, again, that's why I'm saying, like, when this guy's like 412 or get the fuck out, like, what do you play? Are you playing death metal? Because that's like, I, I could see it for certain types of metal. But even then, those guys are going for maximum headroom. Right. They need all that to win. Right. I think I think there are good enough 2x12 cabinets to give you that low end now. Yeah. If you really need it, you can go to a 212. Is a one twelve enough? I mean, hell, I've gigged with one ten. Like that's you just gotta mic it. I mean, that's basically what both don't do. And they, in modern scenarios, most places, if you're gonna be playing and they have a stage and they have a PA, your mic, your amp's getting mic'd up anyway, right? So what the hell? You don't need a hundred watt four twelve. You're 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 fooling yourself. There um, is the there is the school of thought that well, I need my guitar tone because even if the even if the audience can't tell. Then I need it's not to be inspired being, to play. It, it's not about them being able to tell, and I do get that. Like I have had a hundred watt stack with a four twelve, and it moves your pant legs, and it makes you feel different. I mean, it basically makes you feel ten feet tall. That being said, if you're a good enough player, you shouldn't need that. And that's it goes into another discussion. One of the other podcasts was talking about uh, click tracks this week, and they were going on about how you know the click is almost necessary these days. Because, you know, drummers can't keep time and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. Like, my immediate reaction to this was, wait a minute. So you're using a click to cover up the fact that this guy sucks? Like, that's not okay. I will say that, uh, and of course, I'm talking about cover bands mostly because I just, we could talk about ticket prices all day long, but (laughs) I don't tend to go to a lot of concerts um, of the big guys anymore. But um, with... With a um, click track, I I've seen a lot of bands that could use it because the drummer speeds sure. up. Well, no, I mean they could use it, but my point is, is that it? What does that say about them as a band? Like the reality is, they need to figure out their problem, and maybe the click track can help them out in the interim. But they should be figuring out how to make it work right because music, after all, is a performance art. And the more and more we start introducing things like click tracks and pitch correction, and I know we've gotten on this terrain before, 
but you're introducing basically non-human elements. Well, and it, you're right about that, and it, and it sterilizes the music somewhat sometimes. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. And but 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 here, I I don't want to go. I don't want to complete co- completely full bore with it because yes, I understand. Like there are shows. If you're putting on a show and music is a part of that show, like Brad Paisley does, I understand why you would have a click track. But not every artist needs to use that. So that was kind of my rub with them is they were like, well, no, you really shouldn't do this. Like, no, you don't have to. And it was kind of, they were kind of using the argument, well, music is supposed to have static tempo. Look, classical music, composer, stands up there and he's directing with his hands, right? His whole job is to go off from standard tempo. He's supposed to like control the tempo up and down based on the, the musical score, based on, you know, what what the, the notation says. Okay, so I'm <clears throat> I'm gonna say this. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but it I don't know how many times that I've seen a band or been in a band where you get up there and song starts out way too fast. Yeah. Oh yeah, or, absolutely. I've done it. I've done it. You know, and it's like now you just played your whole one hour set. 32 minutes. Yep. <laughs> and I've seen it happen. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, again, it's, it has this thing to do with practicality. And, there, and and again, I think there are different ways to handle click. Like if you want to count off the beginning of a song using a click, right. Or, or maybe your drummer's got a metronome back there and he, and he has it in his head. And so he has it going at 120. So then he knows like this song's supposed to start at 120. Like that's okay. I don't have a biggest problem with that. It's where the show is so structured that they literally have it counting off, and it goes, it goes intro in one, two, three, four. Like, no, that's ah, come on, man. Yeah, I think that I would, I would hope that people are using tick, click tracks to just keep them at a steady pace. Yeah, no, they're using them to cue, cue you and everything. Like, it's gotten, it's gotten way off the beaten path as far as I was concerned. And actually, I was kind of shocked to hear that because I'm not, I don't use click track. Click track. Uh, maybe in the studio we got you know we got a scratch drum track or something. But I I didn't know that they were actually like literally having voice on it going like intro in and then they count off oh, and then like like they're getting through oh chorus in <laughs> you know it's like what hitting me oh yeah no that would bug the crap out of me I wouldn't oh, be able to I, concentrate I, yeah I'd be like chorus what the fuck I'm not done with this yet <laughs> exactly I'm <haven't> coming <laughs> around to my solo the forty seventh time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we're not there yet. <laughs> it's like, tell you, yeah. So we were um, uh, we were playing on Friday. We had a great turnout, by the way, and wonderful people. And um, we were talking about mistakes that we made on stage. And here's the funny thing: the band members, each of the band members, you made a mistake there. I really didn't even know. And so we've gotten to that gelling point where we flow. Yeah, without. Um, worrying about oh crap we well, go they were around talk- four times oh they were oh, i can't do that they were talking about the click in church too and that was i think um, the by the way this church, is yeah, this is now the, the click in church i can see now here's the thing about i was gonna, i was gonna say i was gonna say yeah you i got agree people clapping and there's always that guy that goes i i totally agree with the <laughs> click in church no because look, look you're playing with members of the congregation yeah. it's not like you've hired professional musicians Right, so I get I get the click in church oh, like that. Some, I totally understand that. Some of these churches, man, I bet there's quite a few. Oh, I know they, they in the south they do hire. Yeah, yeah, there are places where they do. Um, I just want to point out though that like this is from the effects loop. So if you guys want to go give them some patronage, check out their podcast. They're more of a gear oriented thing. Um, yeah, you should do it. It's a good podcast. Um, but anyway, 
Yeah, not not to disparage them. I'm not I'm not hating on them. I actually made the same comment in their in their group and um just wanted to let them know like I was thinking about it a different way and I, I appreciate the fact that they were challenging like my my thought on the subject. So it was it was really cool. Yeah, um, I wish sometimes I wish we'd use a click in in uh praise and worship because um our drummer who's really good, um, he sings and unfortunately sometimes his singing throws off his drumming or his drumming throws off his singing. And it would be nice to have that. Plus, we have, I stand next to the singers, and I can tell you right now, my left ear, I, I wish I had a earplug in it. Just lock it Yeah, because there are times. Because yeah, they're The same thing is like when you stand right next to a, like a cymbal, you know, you don't yeah. want that in your ear. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I agree with you and, and uh, on the whole thing. So we were talking about 412s. Yep. Um, Obviously, there's a difference between stage and studio, and this is kind of where I think we had more of a disconnect. Um, you present your side, and then I'll present mine. Okay, I think in the studio, anything should go. I really think I, that... I agree, I agree with that, Jim. I, I think that when you go into the studio... <clears throat> here's the thing. So I listen to that Glenn Fricker guy, and he's always putting down this thing and putting down that thing. I'm like, look, dude, mic it up, throw it in the mix, wall of sound, give it a shot. If it sucks... You know, then it sucks. Drop it. Drop but, it on the track. Yeah, you could take it out. We're, we're, we're in the digital age. They're paying you. Yeah. You could put it in. You know, now if they're not paying you or they've got a tight budget. <laughs> well, that's so damn hey, fault. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, that's where you say, hey, you know you're on a budget. If you pay me this much to run this track three or four times, I'm, I'm, I want you yeah. to track it like this. You know, that's different. Thing. You could make a recommendation, but don't let the band tell you. Or don't, don't tell the band what they're going to do. Right. And, and you're not a producer. He yeah, might he's, think he's a producer, but he's not. Right. He, and he's um he's also one of those guys that, you know, bass player has to change their strings and old yeah. strings aren't good. Yet some bass players, that's their thing. And there and are some should. guys that had the same strings on their bass since nineteen seventy one. And then there's people that they do believe in that. And and yeah. he's right for certain for certain applications, he's right. But he should have a bit you know, he should okay, we'll do some new string stuff. Here's a bass, you can do new string stuff, old yeah, string yeah. stuff. And Give options side by side it because sometimes it does people. And this is where we get to on um, that thing. First of all, I want to say that in the studio, you give everything a try because you never know what's going to work in the mix. Yep. The other side of it is be willing to listen to the sound engineer and the producer because you never know what's going to work in the mix. The, the same argument right, for both right. sides. So, Initially, when we had this conversation, you you mentioned it. I think I think four by twelves are still useful in the studio. And I said, "Well, I said I don't understand why that would this would be this." I, we're kind of arguing the same point, which is that anything goes in the studio. And I'm I'm going to list off some stuff here, and I want and I'll ask you a question at the end. So Led Zeppelin one and two, Derek and the Dominoes, Keith Richards, um, Iron Maiden, uh, Def Leppard. What do all of these things have in common? Many of their hits were recorded without a four by twelve cabinet, so they were completely open as well. That's true, and and okay. So we just talked about um, in the previous uh, podcast a couple of days ago. We talked about the fact that um, Angus Young um, was burning up a, a um, tube amp, yeah, in a four by twelve situation. Yeah, oh, and he used a lot of the 18-watt combos, too. Yeah, fully cranked. Um, so, and that's how he got his sound. Yeah, You've got, yeah. 
You've got guys like, um, all right, so we'll take it to the other extreme. You've got guys that played real loud in the studio. Eddie Van Stevie, Halen. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eddie Van Halen. You know, we could go on. Probably. Dave Mustaine. Dave Mustaine, yeah. Another classic example. And yet Metallica learned to switch when they got, uh, what's the producer that came in? Bob, Bob Rock. Rock. Yeah. yeah, they were they were putting AC thirties on tracks and stuff, and it was like just a whole other animal. And and I think that's that's what I'm trying to point out. And I think I think we we expected to come into this with more combative attitude. I think than, than we're getting. Which I know is a that, couple of days ago we were really going at it. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was all about. Like I was just having a bad day or something. But anyway, so <laughs> my point is, I've got the list over here. I'm pointing at the list on my computer. Yeah. Um, all of these guys. Played around like obviously Eric Clapton when he was doing the Derek and the Dominoes record, um, used before prior to that was using big amps and stuff like eighteen watt Marshalls and stuff that you would consider like a bigger thing. When they got to Derek and the Dominoes, do you know what they used in a lot of that stuff? Do you know what the amps were on Layla? They were a pair of Champs. Yeah, he had the little Tweed Champ, and no, it wasn't even that. It was a he had the black face champ and a silver face champ. So what do you have? Like a one by twelve or a one by ten? Oh, I think a one by tens or one yeah. by eights even. Yeah. And and the whole idea now this is this is where we get into the studio antics. So if you have a big speaker, right, and you put a small microphone in front of it. So picture your SM fifty seven, like a flashlight, right? And you put it in front of that speaker, it's only capturing the the one inch, you know, circle, right? Yep. It is capturing more than that because it's obviously getting sound bouncing into it. Right, right. But the but the but the point is, it's focused on that one inch circle. And if you take a SM57 and you put it in front of a smaller speaker, you're capturing a hell of a lot more of that speaker. Um, and that was one of the things that that Jimmy Page played around with too, was using these these uh, big diaphragm con- condenser mics in front right. of a Supro with a six by nine speaker. It, depending on who you believe, because some people said, oh, he used a 15-inch speaker, and then the 6x9, and he had a 12, and I think he had all of them, and he was using them all for different things. But um, Yeah, I, the- I, I remember reading a... This was a long time ago, so I'm a little fuzzy on it, but reading um, uh, an interview with him, we talked about how he mic'd a lot of different things and put a lot of different stuff together. Because he never yeah. knew. He was, he was like David Gilmore. He tried everything, and some stuff worked, and some stuff didn't. But the but the fact is, and that's where you get to. You have to try it. Most of the time, when you're when you're like these guys that roll this stuff out on stage these days, the one that you're actually hearing is in an ISO cab. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in a box. Yeah, it's it's underneath Under the, stage. the stage. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't even see it. I when I saw Led Zeppelin or not Led Zeppelin, when I saw Guns N' Roses uh, with Buckethead back in like two thousand. I probably would have been two thousand three, two thousand four. Um. I could see underneath the stage because on the side of the stage and there was like a whole, there was a board back there, which is funny because they had front of house too. And there was a board back there and on the floor were all these big boxes. And I was trying to understand what they were. Now I, you know, having had a lot more experiences than I can look at that and go, those were ISO cabs. Right. And these guys, that's, that's what they're doing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think, I think that's probably, um, I I mean, Bonamassa is using it. Like I said, that, um, like you said, that that those guys, you know, the point is that to be able to get that in there and put that um, in place, you look at um, uh, the TV shows, um, the Tonight Show, and Kimmy Live, right, and right. all that stuff. You don't even see it, Amp. You don't even see them. You know well, why? Well, that's because they're all running acts effects, anyway. But 
They're not there. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I think the guy on uh, Saturday Night Live uses divided by 13s. Yeah. Because I think he's I think he's involved with that company. He either owns them or is part owner or something. And the guy there but, uh, replaced um, uh, Smith. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Yeah. Um, so, backing up. Yep. Uh, in the studio. So, I don't want to dismiss and I don't want to confirm that you need a 412. Look, the reality is you just need to sound good. Right. If you have good sound, you have good sound. It doesn't matter what's coming out of. And if you have that magic, you have that magic. I don't think anybody can sit here and argue. If we're going to talk about Van Halen 1, for example, right. uh, I don't think anyone could sit here and argue and say, you know what? The sound would have been better if you used a 1x12 X amp, you know, because that's not the sound of that record. It's iconic now. But I think we all know that if that if they did do that, if they did use some other record, we might still be talking about it being iconic. I Again, like we mentioned uh, in the earlier cast, um, one of the things that people talk about today, the Rockman. Yeah. Oh, no, that, absolutely. Uh, if I mentioned Def Leppard, Def Leppard were big users of Tom Schultz Rockman. Yep. And they, that was a headphone amp, but they quickly discovered you could plug that right into a right into a um, uh, a mixing board, right, and go right out to your recorder. And it sounded great. Mutt Lang, um, you know, as much as people love or hate him, um, he was responsible for a lot of iconic albums. There was obviously Def Leppard's Big Three, High and Dry, um, uh, Pyromania, and the other one that sounds like yeah. Pyromania, um, Hysteria, Hysteria, <laughs> Hysteria. Um, and then you've got ACDC's For Those About to Rock, yep. uh, Back in Black, Highway yep. to Hell. And ironically, they, they weren't using Rockman's on those. No, and, and the exact opposite. And he was yeah. trying to tame those guys. But that was back when he was trying to get a name, and they had one. And, yeah. And as that time changed, he, you know, in that time yeah. frame, he picked up Def Leppard, and got them through High and Dry and, and Pyromania. Sure. And then... Okay, so he was also involved Foreigner Four. That was yep. him. So yep. a lot of iconic albums. And there's a guy that wasn't afraid to try everything. Everything. Yep. And he was a wall of sound. He was he is, I shouldn't say was, he is a, a, a very good singer, bass player, songwriter. Yep. I mean Bob Ezrin. We could talk about somebody else. Bob Ezrin. Look what he produced. He produced Kiss. He produced um the wall he produced. I mean, we can go on all day long about what, what Bob Ezrin did as well. And so you take these great producers who um, worked with, you know, their sound engineers um, and they turned, um, you know, he's on, but let's talk about the lowest fi worst produced song ever that existed to, to today. Louie Louie. Yeah, it's one it's microphone. Hey, I bet they I bet they used fuzz on that. <laughs> they didn't have to. That uh, microphone was swinging from the ceiling. Yeah, no shit. No wonder it sounds like it's been like like it's got the Doppler effect going on. It sounds like ass, doesn't it? it, it yeah, it does. That whole record is. Yeah, that single is really bad. Listen to listen to some of that. I'll tell you. Probably, I, I, I I'm not sure, but. A great fuzz tone was um wasn't uh Iron Butterfly? Wasn't that a um Yeah. That was a big There you fuzz, go. Right? That was fuzzy shit. with the with the album version that's like like thirteen minutes long or something. I wanna say it's nineteen minutes long. Yeah, it's like a whole album side, like it's ridiculous. Oh yeah. 
And that's a great, that's a great. Um, hey, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, Jim. When Led Zeppelin first toured the United States, they opened for them. And by like, I think it was like by show five, uh, they were refusing to go on stage. Because they were like, oh, my God, Zeppelin is so much better than us. Like, what the hell? How did we get signed up for this gig? So they actually flip-flopped. They opened for Led Zeppelin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They they didn't want to have to follow that. Yeah. Who would? Who would? So the original was, let's see, how long? I'm I'm trying to find the link on it. It's long. It's, I know. 17 uh, minutes. Yeah, 17 minutes, all right. Yeah, split the difference. 17 minutes long. I knew it was close to 19. Yeah, it was up there. And the kid, I want to say he was, uh, I'm going by, you know, uh, probably folklore, but he was like 19 years old, drunk or stoned out of his mind. The words, they didn't even know what the words really were. They They asked the drummer who wrote the song, and it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. And yeah. it was so out of his mind. It was in our Garden of Eden, baby. <laughs> and it was, uh, by the way, the fuzz on that on that uh, album was the Moss Wright fuzz right, I believe. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. So. Yep. I kind of figured that was a fuzz-heavy album. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you can say that. Um, Slayer did a cover of that at one point. That's kind of funny. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell that yeah. Would be, that would be interesting to hear. You should link that. I'm the show see if I can write that down. See if I can find it. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah. It, again, you know, here's the thing about all this stuff. If you're not, if you talk to the Rolling Stones, if you talk to um, uh, whoever, and you ask them, do you use the same rig it, from pubs to? to no. Know, to, yeah. No, that, of course they don't. And if you ask them, do you play the same songs? I want to talk about that for a minute. Do you play the same songs in a in a stadium or in a pub? No, no I can so guarantee why? you that's not true either. It has why a lot to do you, with... Why would you change that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, okay. it has a lot to do with the energy level, number one, especially mm-hmm. the song selection. Um, it has to do with room acoustics. Obviously, um, satisfaction may go over differently than, say, you know, um, what's uh, Wild Horses right. or something like that. Um my big thing is not just that, but I mean, like just just mechanics of it. If you're gonna play, like let's say you're doing you're you're playing a bar, right? So it's you, maybe a friend carrying your gear in, right? And you have like um, you know you're gonna bring in a four twelve, a hundred watt head, three guitars, you know, a big ass pedal board. Um, right. You got to have space to put all this stuff. Right. You have to have space to plug this in. You need to have appropriate cases and covers. Um, because you know, you know, there's going to be another band playing and you, they're going to be loading their shit in right next to yours. Right. Um, and they don't always have the same respect for your gear that you do. So that's my big thing. Like, okay, 412, fine. If you're in the right venue, I right. saw a band and I, and I think I mentioned this to you. I saw a band playing in a bar, uh-huh. uh, right. Like two doors down from the music store I always go to. And it's, it's not a big bar. They had pulled up a U-Haul truck and let down the, uh, the, the, you know the uh, the ramp, and we're walking out four twelve cabinets. I'm not one, but like four, and I'm going. What are you doing in there? Are you trying to blow the windows out? Like what the fuck? I mean, honestly, I went into the quiet room at Guitar Center before I actually bought my hundred watt four twelve, yep. and I turned one up, and I had it cooking, 
Yep. And those windows in their quiet room were like flexing. You could see them flexing because of the airflow. And I'm going, you're going to do that in a small club? I played in like a band. That, oh, that yeah. bar owner's never going to have you back. He's going to be like, I can't hear what they're fucking ordering. So I played in bands back when, when if you were louder, you were better. Oh, no. Um, and I'm sure there was a time period when that was like the thing, you know? Yeah. Late That's 70s, why Fender sold all those, those really, ex, you know, high wattage amps. Yep. There was that time um, when it, you would um, try to get all the volume could. Here's, here's the thing for the people that want to be practical. Okay. Why we're called. We practical are practical guitars. guitarists. So if you want to be practical and you want to lug your stuff in and out, here's the thing. If you're going to use a microphone ever, there's no point in having more than one speaker. And I know there's going to be arguments. I, I, I hope that people argue in. I'm going to argue with you in a minute. Go ahead. But I don't think you ever have the need for more than one speaker. I'm talking about a live venue. I'm not talking about studio. And the thing is that you choose the amplification necessary to push that cabinet to the point you have. So a head and a cabinet. Combos are different. But if you're going to go ahead and cabinet, pick yourself a cabinet that you, you like, that's boomy or whatever, and then get the, the head that is suitable for the, the location. You may want to go with a, um, a head like the Lone Star they have, where you can choose three different settings and go down to five watts, go up to 15 watts. Yeah. Um, because you may say, oh, you know what? I really need to crank this, but I don't want to blow everybody's ears out either. You put a mic on it, whether it's an SM57 or whatever, and you're done. You're completely yep. done. And now you can keep your stage volume down. And so um, go ahead, because you were going to argue me on that. Okay. So one mic, multiple speakers. All right. Now, I used to be a believer, Jim, that it didn't matter. Okay, I found I came across video evidence that some guy he had made two he's made two videos about it. The first one he sucked, and he admitted it. And so he he made a second one. And what they did was they took and I can't remember what brand cabinets they were, but they took four identical depth cabinets from one brand. They pulled out the stock speakers, so they even got the ohms matched in all these cabinets. They were all sixteen ohm speakers, okay, wired up to be sixteen ohm cabs. So they took. A 412, a 212, and a 112. They were all the same depth and dimensions, except for the fact that they were, you know, doubled or or uh, quadrupled for for the different cabs. And they mic'd them up. Now, what I expected to hear was they were all going to sound the same because you're micing it up, right? They did not. They actually had a very significant difference. And where you saw it was like a peak in the upper mids. You got a lot more upper mids and a lot less bass out of the single out of the single mic'd speaker. So yes, it is different. However, I'm going to I'm going to posit this caveat and and as a practical guitarist tell you that I don't think it really matters that much because you have EQ at the board. So if you're working with a competent sound guy, he's going to fit you into that mix where you need to go in a live situation. And if you're in the studio, you have EQ to adjust. So you can tell them, "Look, this has got more presence than I'm normal and I'm normally used to custom hearing. Why don't we turn down, you know, the, tr- the treble above, you know, seven thousand hertz a little bit, and you can adjust for it." Yeah, we were we were talking about that today with the band, putting an EQ, an offboard EQ, and making some changes for FOH. The, um, you know, doing using the loop on the board. The 
and expanding the EQ for. But the um, and the other side of this, I'm going to say this. This is this is where it becomes impra- the practicality works. Most guitar players, some of them do, but a lot, a good percentage of guitar players don't sing, right? For whatever reason, because they don't yep. sing. Don't think about the other thing. That's stage volume. Mm-hmm. Stage volume is extremely important to control because you can only turn up your singer as loud as loud until you get feedback. Now I know we can go in ear mics and all that stuff, but I'm trying yeah. to go with the practical everyday person. And even if you do get the and and those those prices are coming down more and more. Yeah. Oh yeah, they are, are affording. The in ears. I I've told the band a hundred times. I saw a band the other day that was using them. A very small band that yeah. was using them. I've told the guys a hundred times, but you've also got the old folks that don't want to get rid of it. Sure, so and it could be disorienting to have in ears and all that. We know all the arguments against it, but yep. assuming that you can't afford them, then right. this is a good a good instance where you have to understand that you can control your sound with more than just the amplifier on the stage, right? Because we're not talking. We're talking about post mic, right? And you're talking about bleed. You're talking. About, no matter what you do, it bleeds into other mics. Because you're like, well, geez, I can hear your voice just fine, and, and this, that, and the other thing. And it's, what they don't realize is their guitar, the drums, the cymbals, everything else is bleeding into that vocal mic. Unless yep. you're way over to the side, you know, you're a diva, got the drummer behind a, you know, a plexiglass wall. and the drum. Yeah, that's going to say, that's why everybody's buying plexi now. Like, I'm looking to buy some plexiglass to put in front of my amps. Because I know... The stage volume is crit- critical. And that's what I was going to say. And the guitar player is not behind a plexiglass. So <clears throat> there's always trade-offs. And you have to be practical. Because as a band, if you're a solo artist, you're playing a tracks, that's one thing. But as okay. soon as you add another person to the mix, and as soon as you add a vocalist to the mix, you have to start thinking about, what am I doing not only, not only musically, but sonically to make sure I'm making room for the other guys and the other gals in the band to make sure they're hearable as well. And they can do right, themselves. Jim. Jim, I know where this is going. Let's talk about the penultimate way to lower your sound on stage. Let's right. talk about going direct. Going direct. So here's the thing. We, we go direct. So we come out of our Hughes and Kettner, use our red box, go into a DI, lift, Ground lift, so in case we need it, into the board. And you're a four-piece band. We're a four-piece so band. So you have multiple vocalists. Yep. You have, we have four guitars, vocalists. bass. Yeah, we have two guitars, right? We have two guitars, electronic drums, okay. bass, and um, four vocals. All four right. of us sing. So, so their stage volume is pretty damn quiet because they have electronic drums and direct guitars, which... which why part of the reason you're getting gigs like you are, Jim, is because you guys are quiet enough that the that the guys can walk up to the bar and not scream at the bartender to get a drink. Absolutely. And that's that's critical. Now, do you think your tones are as good and does it matter? Okay, there's the two sides of it. So I I'm gonna say this. We that was one of the EQ things. We were like, hey, the guitar sound in the front of the house sounded great, but on the stage it sounded like ass, total ass. Sounded like bees in a, you know, in a jar, for whatever reason where we were. And we heard them, we could play, it sounded terrible. 
we were both wireless. We both stepped into the, you know, into the front of the house and we were like, oh, wow, this, this actually sounds pretty good. So, um, you are trading off that, um, what's the word I want? That guitar thing. Some music can't, I couldn't see a DeGent band. Is it DeGent? Gent? Gent. 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 It's, I can't see a Gent band or a super heavy metal band doing that. But if you're a pop band, we can fit into it. We can fit into a corner where, you know. Yeah, your stage setups are really small. I saw yeah. one the other night. I was like, what? Yeah. We were, oh, that was spread out. We had like tons of room in that. That setup, that picture you saw, that was like, wow. We, this, yeah. That's a huge stage for us because we yeah. took no space up. Two Hughes and Kettner lunchbox size 18 watt heads. Yeah. Plop, plop. Um, two boards, three mics across the front. Bass player is sans amp. <clears throat> you got the yeah. drummer behind us. So really, we don't take much more room up than a small dining room table. Yeah. Then your then your instruments even. I mean, yeah. I've been I played in I played in a club years ago. It was not a club, it was a bar. Right. And it was I mean, we didn't have enough room to put the drums. Okay. And and so that's where like yeah, that is super appealing to me because at the time I had a big two two twelve and yep. uh, you know floorboard and all that stuff. Like now it's like oh god, where was I thinking? Like I would have just I should just gone direct exactly and PA and and <clears throat> again that's something that a lot of people they just don't think about. Um, when I was playing bass uh, for bands, um, I was direct every time, every time. With yeah, the and that seems the to be the case for a lot of people. But yeah, the only time I didn't go direct and I hated it was when they didn't bring the subs for the band, and they were like, "Oh, we don't need subs." I said, "You're right, we don't need subs for the bass. I can turn my amp up loud enough in this place, but where is the kick? Yeah, where's the rest yeah. of the low end? Where's the low end on your your guitar when you're hitting the drop D or you're hitting a big open E? Yeah, yeah." Um, Going. So, I guess what, what what we probably need to back this whole thing up with is it's genre dependent to an yeah, extent. I think, but so. at least for but at least for me, like I have the Helix now, and I I have no fear of going direct. Yep. Like I can walk into a venue right now, drop it on the floor, plug it in, talk to the sound guy for ten seconds, and then go back up there and just rip. Yeah, like, and <clears throat> we're doing eighties pop music, and. Our music works just fine with, yeah. with the way we were working. And I'm yeah. sure some musician, I'm sure there's a cork sniffer who's going to walk in at, at some point, one of our gigs, and go, but that should have been through a, you know, a, a whatever Where, pedal. Where's your cab? Yeah, where's, where's your cab, Jim? In? You, I, most people have come up to me, though. I, I got to say that most of my musician friends... The ones that have walked up to me have said, wow, jealous, because they're jealous of the fact that we take up no space. <clears throat> they're jealous of the fact that the, we can they're turn practical, down. They're practical, Jim. They're yeah. listeners, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, most of them are. And we can turn down to the point that it's really not much louder than the... As a matter of fact, they turned on the house music, you know, the, the stuff they have yeah. in the house, and it was louder than us. Oh, I saw that the other night, too. The show was horrible. And I was like, <laughs> Cry. That's because yeah, that's because 
we aren't that loud. And people were like, man, we, when we come to see you, we can talk, we can hear, we can, you know, we can, we can, think, we can have a good time. Um, and that's the thing. You take away a good time when you take away their ability to enjoy themselves because you are not, as much as we want to be, the band is not always the focus of attention. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I want to I wanna put this out there, and this is kind of my final thought for the episode, and we can end it after this. Yep. When you go to a movie theater with friends, right. you don't get to visit with friends. It's kind of lame. Right. I'm going to go see a movie with this dude. Yep. You're not even going to be able to talk because it's a fucking movie, you idiot. Right. So, <clears throat> okay, like, so. You provide that experience. You give them entertainment, and they can speak, and, and it, because you're doing a co- your cover music, like, they don't even really have to pay attention to the music as much to appreciate it. They sing back to us. They Yeah. We were talking about that. We were talking about what songs were best, and it's always that song we can see them either lip syncing to, or we can literally hear them over our own amps. Right. And, and I'm going to go right to your movie theater thing. So, in my day, taking a girl out to the movies you know, was a thing. But you never mm-hmm. just took her to the movie. There was always dinner. Because when were you going to talk? Yeah, when were you going to talk to her? My God, why when did you, you want to? to? When you <laughs> to romance her? That's why I never, I always skipped the dinner part. You should go right to the movie. <laughs> the hell with this. Although you'll ask my wife, she's the only one I ever dated, so. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Oh Not even a minute. I'm totally happy with my wife. Um, we've been together since, well, since her divorce. <laughs> since her divorce. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, um, 1981. Yeah, man. But we were on and off. There was a, there was a, because we didn't get married right away. Um, but, um, so there was a few years in there. But the, but the thing is that, um, you know, the biggest, uh, thing that I hope people take away with from what we just said is that you need to think practically. And you need yeah. to say, okay, is a 4x12 really what I need? If you've got a 4x12, you've obviously got a head. Because there aren't, I'm, I'm sure somebody will say, yes, there is. I'm sure there is one. Uh, there are, but there's like very a few. A 4x12 combo is just not something. Yeah. You don't see that every day. Hell, I, I have see seen 4x10. I see the 4x10 DeVille or, or yep. Super Reverb, and I'm like, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> oh, my God. I played with a guy that had one of those. So I had a Flex Tone. He had yeah. one of those. But guess what? I had to go get one of those. Yeah, I I got the two by twelve. All right. So before we before we end, because I said that was my final thought, four by ten amps. Yeah, I super want a super reverb, but there is no fucking reason for me to have one. <laughs> you know, I loved loved the tone of a four by ten Fender Deville. Seriously. Yeah, that, no, I'm sure. Of the two Fender DeVille, that, of any of the Fender DeVilles, that was the best one. I run into tons of people who actually have those. Yep. And I'm just like, that's like the least practical thing you could possibly buy. It is. <laughs> it is terribly impractical. It weighs like literally oh, yeah. 85 pounds. It's come with casters on it. Yeah. Buy the amp and there's two roadies in the box. Yep. <laughs> it, yeah, there are little little guys that come out, okay, we've got your yeah. And, and Yeah. Oopa loopas. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy the um, uh, the impracticality of it. But I can tell you the tone of it was incredible. I loved it, but uh, it was too heavy. And luckily, that was his. 
I was plugging the four, the two by twelve. That was heavy enough. And you know, we had that was one of the bands. We had a guy because you know you could plug another cabinet from that. Yeah, yeah. So the guy would bring his four by twelve, and I would plug my my amp into the four by twelve. So I was pushing six by twelve. Jim, how did you end up a host on the Practical Guitar? Oh, no, it was the most impractical thing. And <laughs> like, then, oh, oh wait, wait, it gets yeah, better. There's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So he would have me plug in. I'd go six by twelve to four by twelve, and then he would he would mic up the bottom right speaker. <laughs> I'm like, how much louder do I have to be? <laughs> I know I'm clipping the shit on the input. On I'm this. blowing this thing up. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, no, upper upper speaker, like upper row somewhere. I know. I know. He would he would mic the bottom play, right speaker. He played guitar, Jim. Like, <laughs> and this was a oh, slant back. Destructive pedal. This was a slant back. What is it? Marshall 1964? That's well, that's why B. the bottom row. Yeah. When they're, they're slanted, you don't really want to mic the top row. Yeah. There are reasons for it. Yeah, um, but he would he was miking that up, and so well he could have miked my. You know what I'm getting, Jim? I'm just going to say it right now. You're miking it up. I Why know. the fuck would you need to? <laughs> Why not just unplug my speakers, my two speakers, <clears throat> run his no, and so then, um, like I said, he mic it up, and then he had a DI box. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not that good. I don't know why you've got two. So you've got two channels with my guitar on it. So you can pan them. It makes the guy in the lot. <laughs> this, guy, this guy thought he was like, like, like big shit or something. I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had he had an um, 8 by 10 sun, <laughs> you know, stack. Sun, see him, you know. 800 watts. So every time he went to play, he just, Mississippi Queen. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you know what I mean? We, every time, that was one of our songs. That was one of our songs. Les Paul Jr. One pickup, right? Uh, yeah, and I and I was playing a Strat. So imagine the feedback control on this thing. Oh, oh gosh! So I felt like Hendrix. I was like, <laughs> nope, can't go that far. I'm, all, I'm down there. People can't see me moving my my pinky back and forth, but I'm I'm rolling the the you know every time I stop playing, uh, that was instantaneous. That's the first thing I do when I stop playing because that's always been you know just I've ruined so many takes in the studio because of that. <laughs> you start up and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah, because you're. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. On that note, I have been David. I have been Jim. And we have been both practical and impractical guitarists. At any given time. In this episode. Thank you all. <laughs>